Now tonight I'm going to bring you this message, but I've decided a number of things as I've been studying and I'm going to give you a message tonight on Moses. Next time I'm going to give you a message on Adam. And then the next Sunday night, I plan to give you a message on David. And then the next Sunday night, I want to give you a message on King Cyrus, Isaiah, that tremendous prophecy of, of Cyrus. I've never preached on it, but it's all in here. Now, if I can give you three or four messages dealing with these key subjects, key, key questions in relation to what's happening, you'll be in a very much better position to understand what's going on but you also have some faith and you'll have something in your heart with which you can serve the Lord and rejoice now let's turn to the gospel according to John if you will the fifth chapter and in this uh, passage our Lord Jesus Christ of course is speaking in the first person he's speaking in in conflict with the religious leaders of his day as they came to him and at the end of this fifth chapter uh, he is telling us uh, about Moses and what Moses did and his relationship to Moses I want you to begin reading if you will with verse 39 search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life and it is they which testify of me Search the scriptures. It is they, the scriptures, which testify of me. And then we lead down verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings... How shall ye believe my words? Now our Savior says that the scriptures are testifying of him. That's why God gave them to us, so that we'd know about his son and his plan to redeem us from our sin. And then he gets into this argument here with these Jewish leaders, and he says, Do not think that I will accuse you. There's one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. And here these religious leaders of Christ's day were constantly appealing to Moses. He said they sat in Moses' seat, you know. For had ye believed Moses, the trouble with you people is you appeal to Moses, you talk about Moses, you refer to Moses, but you don't believe him. If you believed in Moses, then ye would believe me. Because Moses testified to me, Moses wrote of me. In fact, all that Moses did was in preparation for my coming in order that ye might know that I was the true uh, promise of the woman, the seed of the woman. But if ye believe not his writings, and that's plural, how shall ye believe my words? And so our Savior speaks of his words and he relates them to Moses' writings. And what he says is just as true as what Moses said. And if you won't believe Moses, neither will you believe Christ. And isn't it interesting that the attack which is now made on Moses reflects directly upon the words of Christ. And that's what our Savior said. If you won't believe Moses, you won't take my words either. And I'm going to point that out to you tonight, and then we want to go to some of these passages that refer to Moses and our blessed Lord. 
But this development that took place this past week and which led me last week to go out to Seattle back and forth to be a witness on this trial is one of the most important developments that we have had as it concerns the Bible and our public life. The Supreme Court has said we can't read the Bible or pray. And now we've got areas where they're refusing to have baccalaureate exercises and they don't even use the name of Christ anymore in prayer and all this sort of thing is being eliminated. Even right over here in Cherry Hill, understand, they moved the Catholics for a baccalaureate and the Jews for a baccalaureate and then they took all the Protestants, put them together for some baccalaureate and some Presbyterian church and they're beginning to break this thing down. And those of us who are separatists and who are Bible believers, the squeeze and the pressure is going to be upon us to deny our faith. But now, an entirely new development has taken place. And it's just in the last few years, this silent revolution, as it was called, these state universities and these public schools are saying, well, now we'll study the Bible as literature, just as literature. And then they proceed when they take these courses in literature to advance a terrific assault upon the Bible. And in the state of Washington, the state outlined a course, and they have a syllabus here. And two of our Bible Presbyterian preachers, Mr. Hal Webb and Tom Miller, learned about this. In fact, they had some television programs on the subject, and that alerted the public. And they got a hold of one of these syllabuses and found out that uh, the course in literature was nothing but just a, a, a sustained uh, attack upon the Bible and the reorganization of the Scripture. And the idea is that before they can even begin to study it as literature, they have to get the historical setting and the time in which the books were produced, and this is necessary for them to understand what is being said. And so they have introduced into the university all of the higher critical assault. I say all of it, from Genesis to Revelation, the whole thing. And they've completely reorganized, redated, and reshaped the Scripture in this course. And as a result of this course, they have come up with the idea that the early chapters of Genesis, in fact, all of Genesis, is made up of myths and legends. They've introduced what they call parable and allegory. And then they have these lengthy expositions of what the Bible teaches in these various areas after they've reorganized it. And they've got just a nice story of the history of the children of Israel struggling along, moving through these troubles and trials with their myths and their legends and their traditions. And finally they get some higher ideas of God. And this is an entirely different concept, an entirely different religion from what the Bible teaches the Bible teaches us that it is a revelation which God has brought down to man. God has been seeking man instead of man struggling along trying to seek God. But God has sought man and God has come down to man in this marvelous revelation and God has been pleased to tell us how he created the universe and been pleased to tell us of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And they're no legends, they're no myths. But in this course, Adam is just a myth and the whole thing is just a legend. 
But the hearings were held, and the state of Washington came in with their assistant attorney general, a very able attorney, and they maintained that uh, they had a right to study the Bible as literature, just as you would study Shakespeare or Chaucer or uh, any other piece of literature, that the book was here and they had a right to examine it. They also maintained that they had a right to teach about the Bible rather than teach the Bible. And they tried to make a distinction between teaching about it and actually teaching it. Well, when they got through teaching about it and had the thing all turned around and twisted up and then they explained what it was, they were teaching another religion. That's what they were teaching. They had some of the students come in and go on the witness stand and when they were cross-examined, our lawyer asked him, he said, uh, would you kindly answer this question over here about the Pentateuch and answer this question about Adam and explain the structure of the Pentateuch and... And another question here was, in what ways can the Garden of Eden story in the Bible be differentiated from similar garden stories in pagan mythologies? And under oath, these students sat on a witness stand and they explained how the Pentateuch was put together with J-E-P-D, gave the whole thing right out. This is what they've been taught, this is what they come to believe. And in relationship to the Genesis account of creation, they sat there and they compared it to the Babylonian myths and others and just gave the story. They had been thoroughly brainwashed with this, uh, with this explanation. But the university said we were just teaching about it, not teaching it. And then the third thing that they had to say was that they had academic freedom. Academic freedom. And as an institution that's searching for truth, searching for truth and the uh, head of the university who appeared said that they were searching for truth and any field of human endeavor was open for their investigation and he went even further than that he said anybody who comes with any preconceived ideas or with a closed mind can't be a teacher well then our lawyer began to question him about some preconceived ideas about God and of course he debated that but anyhow, the court gave the decision to the university. And this means that if this decision stands, that our state schools, our tax-supported schools, are really going to open up this question, and these ecumenical leaders have said, this is the great field in which we shall enter now. And in the name of scholarship, in the name of English, in the name of searching for the truth, we're going to study the Bible as literature. And when you get through, you don't have any Bible. You just don't have any Bible left. Now tonight I'm going to talk with you about Moses. And next Sunday night I want to take Adam because they have a section in here about Adam being an allegory and a myth. And then I want to spend some time with you about David because they tell us David never wrote his Psalms. Isn't it interesting to learn that David didn't write the Psalms? And you can take the book of the Psalms and under Psalm after Psalm, Psalm after Psalm, it says a Psalm of David. Well, when you study the course in English out there at the university, they tell you, no, that the psalm book was put together, it's uh, put together maybe a hundred years before Christ along in that period, and it was just the hymn book they used in the synagogue, that's all it is. And some of these psalms may go back to ideas that David had, but David is not the author of them. 
And then we get to the book of Isaiah, and they just break it down into several different Isaiahs. But I want to spend a night with you on Cyrus. And I want all of you to hear the message in which I bring about Cyrus, King Cyrus. You see, Isaiah named Cyrus as the great Babylonian king under which the children of Israel would come back after their exile. And of course, these modernists and these liberals, they can't accept any such prophetic a prediction over a couple of hundred years so they say that that portion has to be written after Cyrus lived and after Cyrus uh, uh, permitted the children of Israel to go back now I want to spend a Sunday night on Cyrus with you people and show you these things we look at the Bible as a revelation from God we look at the Bible as having been given by inspiration through the prophets and by the apostles and we look at the Bible as being entirely different from Shakespeare or Chaucer or Tennyson or anyone else. It can't be compared. It can't even be considered on the same level or the same plane with this sort of literature. This is an inspired book. This is an infallible book. And for them to take it into a university and say it's just a human book and then interpret these things as myths and legends and redate them and reorganize them and all that sort of thing does disaster to anyone who really wants to believe that God has spoken to us in Revelation. This means that the tax money... Now, after the church this morning, a young lady went out of church and she said, Dr. McIntyre, in the college that I went to, they taught this whole thing, J, E, P, and D. She says, they taught it. I said, well, did you know it was wrong? Well, yes, she says, I know it's wrong. And I says, young lady, what was the name of the school? And she told me. And I said, well, of course, that was a religious school, young lady. That was a private school. And in these religious schools, they can teach anything they want like this, and it's up to them. We're objecting to this being taught in state schools, in tax-supported schools. We're objecting to this being taught in universities in the name of learning and scholarship where they come in and tear the Bible to pieces. But your realities are that in your Christian college, you just name one right after another belong to this whole ecumenical movement. This is what they teach them. Now down at Shelton College, these questions are raised, but the answers are given to the students. And they have an answer to these questions so that they can retain their, their sense and their intelligence and return, retain their faith in the word of God as God's holy and infallible word. Now in this chart which we have here, they have three different calls of Moses. I only thought Moses was called once, but they have three of them. They've lined them up here. And they've taken the account of the call of Moses in Exodus. And it's in the third chapter of Exodus. First you have the J version in which uh, there are references to God as Jehovah. Second you have the E version in which there are references to God as Elohim. And third we have the P version which uh, they say the priests sort of doctored up and put it together in a nice way. Now, beloved, here they are, the three versions of the call of Moses at the burning bush in the University of Washington syllabus. Three different versions. And there is absolutely no evidence, no documentation, nothing in history, nothing in archaeology, nothing anywhere that supports the idea that there are three different accounts or three different versions. 
All in the world men have done is to take the book that you have in your hand, just the one that you have, and just make up the nice scheme and the beautiful web that they, they, they make out of it and say, where you find J, it's a J document, and where you find E, it's an E document, and where you find uh, some other things that don't seem to fit in just quite, we'll call that the priest did some doctoring up, so that's a P reference. Purely imaginative. Purely speculative. There's nothing there. Just because God is Elohim and God is Jehovah and they have these two names, that's no sign they had different documents or different traditions, none at all. We call each other by different names. Matter of fact, I've got two or three different names in my lifetime. There's nothing wrong with two or three different names being used, done all the time. But it's an artificial, arbitrary, imaginative uh, dissecting of the scriptures. And it was started by two theologians over in Germany, Graf and Wellhausen. And the whole world has been led astray by this approach. And now it's gotten into the university. Now right alongside of it, they prepared a great chart on the formulation of the Old Testament. Here it is, it's presented, formulation of the Old Testament. The first part of this chart begins with what they call oral tradition, 2000 B.C. Uh, They have an indication here that writing began about 1000 B.C. Of course, they're absolutely wrong on that so far as archaeology is concerned. But oral tradition, and when you get down to about uh, 850 B.C., they've got J, which is supposed to be this J document, that comes into some form where Jehovah is used. And then you come on 750 B.C. and you get the E document. That's E, that's Elohim. So uh, uh, J.A. was in existence at least a uh, hundred years ahead of E. Uh, rather E, yes. And then you come on down to 700, J and E get together. And then you get around 600 and D begins to appear. That's the Deuteronomic, Deuteronomy, the, the law section. And then you don't get the P until about 450. Those were the priests after the exile. The priests were the ones that put this thing together. And finally, at 400 B.C., after 400 B.C., you get Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The first five books of our Bible did not exist as you have them in your Bible today, until over a thousand years after Moses was dead. Now that's the way they've reordered this thing. That's the way they've reorganized this thing. But of course you and I believe, and the church has always believed, and there's no evidence to the contrary, that the Bible is what it represents itself to be. God told Moses to write all these things in a book. And Moses wrote... And then when we come to the New Testament, we find this tremendous emphasis upon Moses, 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 Moses. And I'm going to turn to several of these for you. But I want you to see they've worked this out in a design, in a diagram, and every student in the class has to purchase this thing, and this is what he's examined on. And when he gets through, he believes that the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, were never written by Moses at all. All right, now let me point out the significance of this to you. In the first place, they have an entirely new religion. It's just another religion. It's not Christianity, not the religion of Judaism. Entirely different thing. And it's built on an entirely different record. 
There were no books written back there before, so far as the Pentateuch is concerned, before 400 B.C. Consequently, the earlier part of your Bible, all these first five books of the Bible, uh, they're not what they represent themselves to be at all. They just can't be. And the great reflection, of course, is against our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now tonight I read you this passage in the fifth chapter of John where our Savior says, Search the Scriptures, for it is they that testify of me. And when you turn to the Pentateuch, all through this Pentateuch, all through the writings of Moses, you have these tremendous references to the coming of the Messiah and the Lord Jesus Christ who will be the Deliverer. And the first reference to Christ in the Pentateuch is in the very third chapter of Genesis where we're told the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. And that is a clear, unmistakable reference according to our Lord and according to the New Testament as Paul quotes it and refers to it of the coming of a Savior who would deliver us from the consequences of sin and deliver us from death itself. And the taking of the, uh, of the blood and the shedding of the blood and the sacrifice of Abel, when he brought that sacrifice, all of that was a testimony and it was a representation of the blood that would be shed on the cross of Calvary. And furthermore, Abel understood it that way. And furthermore, Abel had faith. And in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, where you have a record of the heroes of the faith, you have Abel being named. And because he had faith, and he believed that in the offering of a lamb and a blood sacrifice, that he was putting his trust in the coming true Messiah. And we have the blessed testimony to it. And you can go right on down through that Old Testament. And when you come, please, to the great Exodus account, when the blood is put on the lentils and on the doorpost, and the children of Israel are brought out of Egypt that night, and they have their great Passover lamb and their Passover supper, that Passover lamb is Christ. And the New Testament affirms it. And when Christ hung on the cross of Calvary, he was that lamb which is slain. And John says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And when you turn to the writings of the Apostle Paul, the Lord is our Passover. And you just move right on down. And that rock which they struck, from which they received the water, and that rock was Christ. And you go right through that Pentateuch, verse by verse, section by section. As Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish. And the brazen serpent which Moses lifted up, and all they had to do was to look at that serpent on that cross, and they would, be, they would live. But if they didn't live, look at that serpent they died for their transgression and all of that represented the Lord Jesus Christ and Moses saw it and the children of Israel saw it and they were all saved and they passed through the flood and they entered into the promised land all of these things represented to them what God Almighty was doing for his people in delivering from their sin and taking them finally across Jordan and into the land of promise I'm inclined to think that if they really taught the Bible as literature out there and explained to these people what it was, then they would throw it out as religion. They would throw it out because a lot of people would get saved. 
And when they get through tearing the Bible to pieces, of course, they don't get saved. They don't believe it. But a lot of people would get saved. Well, will you turn with me now to the earlier chapters of the Gospel according to John? Turn to the very first chapter of the Gospel according to John. And in this section where John the Baptist is bearing testimony to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he tells us in verse 17, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now Moses did give the law. But of course, according to this university course, he didn't. He didn't. But I'm inclined to think that this assault on Moses, we move Moses aside and we lay Moses aside, that this is a part of our 20th century attack upon the law of God. The law was given by Moses. By the law comes the knowledge of sin. Sin is the transgression of the law. There's one who will condemn you, even Moses. It's the law of Moses that we've broken. It's the law of Moses that says thou shalt not commit adultery. It's the law of Moses we're laying aside in our new morality. It's the law of Moses which protects your property rights. Thou shalt not steal. It's the law of Moses that we're laying aside in all this socialistic drift and all this communistic propaganda. And you tear down the law of Moses. You discredit the law of Moses. You lay aside the law of Moses. And it's a part of the assault upon the great standards of morality and decency which Moses gave us, which the law gave us, which God has given us, which is this part of this whole effort to come in here and we'll just lay this thing all aside. We must exalt the law of Moses in the land so that men will know that they're sinners. And when they learn that they're sinners, then they're ready to listen to the good news that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We're not saved by the law. You're saved by grace. The law condemns. Grace pardons. You're not delivered by the law. You are delivered by Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now will you turn to verse 45 in this first chapter? Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Poor Philip. He was expressing the ignorance of his day when he said, We found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. Yes, Moses did write. He did give us the book of Moses. He did give us this account. Then will you turn over a little further? And in the third chapter of John and in the 14th verse, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Our Savior is telling us about Moses. Somehow or other, when I look at this and I see what's happening right now in the country and in our schools, and then I begin to read the Bible, I say, Lord, you prepared the book. When you inspired the book for us, you knew that this type of attack would come at the end of the age. And in relationship to all these attacks, we'd have the word of our Savior standing there as the barrier over which they just can't go. 
And beloved, we believe that Christ was raised from the dead and he knows all things. And Christ mentions Moses by name. He mentions Noah by name. And that's all a myth, you see, as it was in the days of Noah. He mentions Daniel by name. He mentions David by name. He mentions Isaiah by name. And in the purposes and the plan of God, as he put this book together, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for those of us living in the last days who believe it and who know that this is the message of life, we can turn to this book. And in the presence of these assaults, and when the circuit court, the civil court, the superior court turns and says, it's all right to attack the Bible. It's all right to do this with tax funds. We can turn back to this book and say, our blessed Lord knew that Moses wrote of him. Our blessed Lord knew that David wrote of him. Our blessed Lord knew that Isaiah wrote of him. Our blessed Lord knew all these things about Daniel and he gave testimony to it. And beloved, tonight I stand here as a man who believes that Christ was raised from the dead. And because he was raised from the dead, he is able to speak to us about these things that these so-called scholars and these intelligent leaders, and they pride themselves in their great learning from their brains. Our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ knew the first from the last and the end from the beginning. And so we turn now to this great section I read you in the, in the scripture tonight, the last chapter of the book of Luke. And in the gospel of Luke, our Savior is risen from the dead. He's come out of the tomb. And he joins himself to these two women. And oh, how he listens to them and how he talks with them. And then our Savior says, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He didn't leave out any scripture. He didn't leave out any prophets. And then we say that he began at Moses, and that's where you begin in the book of Moses. That's where the Bible begins. And God gave to Moses the account of creation. God gave to Moses the account of the entrance of sin, and it's no myth. God gave to Moses the account of the expulsion of our first parents from the garden. God gave to Moses the record of the curse and told us how death came upon us. God gave to Moses the story of the flood and how Noah was delivered in his ark. God gave these things to Moses and Moses wrote them down and Moses guarded them and protected them and they were handed down as written records, sacred records kept by the children of Israel through their wilderness wanderings on into the land of Canaan and these things were not written and brought together a thousand years after Moses lived. The last account in this 24th chapter of Luke says that the disciples were together in the upper room. Jesus appeared. These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. And aren't you happy he names Moses? He names Moses. He names Moses. He just can't quit talking about Moses. He just includes Moses, beloved. They were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, here it is, writings, writings, writings. Moses wrote, David wrote, the prophets wrote. Thus it is written that it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remissions of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem and ye are witnesses of these things
the professor out there was asked on the witness stand how he explained this that Jesus said Moses wrote of me and he had explained that Moses didn't do any script writing there was nothing like that he didn't write anything he said well he says Moses was the towering figure and all of these things were gathered around his name in the course of these years and he says it was just appropriate to say that Moses wrote them if there ever was anything that was dishonest and that was fouled that is but that's the way he he put it the writing didn't take place until around 400 BC but since they talked about Moses why it was all right and then he added these words and I want to get the record as soon as it's written he says Jesus understood it that way I'd like to know how he knows that I would like to know how he knows that because Jesus didn't understand it that way at all according to the words of our Lord that we have here in this blessed book he said had ye believed Moses ye would believe me because he wrote of me oh the Lord knew what he was talking about when he spoke of Moses and if he didn't know what he was talking about when he spoke of Moses then he didn't know what he was talking about on a lot of other things either if he didn't know what he was talking about when he talked about Moses, how did he know he knew what he was talking about when he talked about heaven? If you believe not, he said, when I tell you of earthly things, I've told you of Moses, I've told you of the new birth, I've told you the prophets, I've told you they testify of me. If you won't believe me now, how will you believe me if I tell you of the heavenly things? And beloved, we believe what Jesus Christ had to say about the earthly things. He knew all man. He knew what was in man. He knew the heart of man. He knew all of God's dealings and beginning with Moses and the prophets. He expounded unto them the things concerning himself. My, I'd love to hear that sermon. Oh, when we get to heaven... Another one of our dear saints has moved into heaven tonight. Another one of our numbers gone up there to be with Christ. But oh, when we see him, and when we see Moses, and when we see the great prophets, everything that Moses says, everything that the prophet said, everything that's written was to the end that men might look to Jesus Christ. Moses wrote of me. And our Savior took these great passages and he expounded them. But the one thing that stands out in this 24th chapter of Luke, as I read it to you, is that he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. He opened their eyes. They didn't understand him. They didn't see him. But when he broke bread, they saw him and then he vanished. And beloved, if you're going to understand the scriptures, you must be born again. If you're going to understand what Christ has done for us in the word of God, ye must be born again. Only born again people can understand what I preach tonight. 
Those of you who are not born again and you listen to this preacher and here's the university with its course and with all its uh, human explanations and you say, well, that's the way they teach it out there. Beloved, if you understand the scriptures, if you understand the risen Christ, if you understand that he's the one who came out of that tomb, if you understand that the scriptures were given to testify of him, if your eyes are open and you understand this, then you will believe in him and you'll be saved and you'll stand up for him and you'll be his servant and then you'll take part in this movement of our day to preach this gospel and to maintain this gospel and you'll stand with your pastor and with others against these efforts in these state universities to get the tax money and to take this Bible and to reorganize it and redate it and reinterpret it and say it's a story of the struggle of man as they're reaching out making some little progress over the centuries toward God. No beloved God has come down to us God has come to us in our helplessness. He's come to us in our darkness. He's come to us in our ignorance. He's come to us with a revelation. He's come to us with His Son. He's come to us in order that He might lift us up by His grace out of death and give us life eternal. And give us life eternal. Oh, you dear saints in this church, let's get close to this book. Let's get close to this Christ. Let's get close to Moses. Let's understand that when the Bible tells us that Moses wrote all these words and put them in a book, but somebody says to me, but Dr. McIntyre, over in the last part of the book of Deuteronomy, there's the account of the death of Moses. Just the last few verses of the book of Deuteronomy, the last one of all the book, says Moses died. Tells us about he went up on the mountain and the Lord buried him there. Last part of the book of Moses. Do you think Moses wrote that? Do you think Moses wrote the account of his own death? Well, beloved, if Moses could... In the 13th chapter of Deuteronomy say, A prophet shall the Lord thy God raise up unto thee like unto me, unto him shalt thou hearken. And if Moses could give us all the details as he does in place after place concerning our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it wouldn't be difficult for him to write the account of his own death if the Lord told him about it. Very easy. I have no troubles with that. No trouble whatsoever. As a matter of fact, the Lord told Peter how he was going to die. And when you read 2 Peter, Peter says, I must lay off my body even as the Lord told me. And do you know, beloved, God told Moses because he struck that rock and didn't give God glory. He says, Moses, because of that, you'll not go into that land of promise. And Moses knew as he struggled and led the children of Israel 40 years in the wilderness, he knew that he would lead them up to the very entrance of the land but God wouldn't let him go in, and he didn't. I find no difficulty in believing that God told Moses that he would bury him. My, that lonely grave on Nebo's crown, where Moses was put to rest. God dug it, God arranged for it, God put him there. And on the resurrection day, Moses will be raised from the dead. You mean to say that Moses wrote the account of his own death in the last two verses there, the closing passages of Deuteronomy? I have no difficulty with it. 
As a matter of fact, beloved, I have no difficulty with anything that's in the Bible. You mean to say that we had a big argument there about the sun standing still. They were making fun out there about the sun standing still in the days of Joshua. And oh my, they, they, it's a question here about the sun standing still. Did the sun stand still? Joshua's long day and the moonlight and all that sort of thing. I have no trouble with that. My goodness, ladies. Now the Lord could have made them stand still for three days if he wanted to. Who put the sun up there? Who made the earth go around? Who has the power that holds everything together? Our God has. And beloved, the supreme miracle is going to take place when the Son of God comes in the clouds of heaven and He's coming. And when He comes, He's going to utter one word and they'll all come out. Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the children of Israel, all the born-again ones from every age and every generation. The church of all time and all eternity will be raptured into the clouds with one great thunderous shout of hallelujah. Oh, death, what is thy sting? Oh, grave, what is thy victory? And do you mean to say a God who can create the universe out of nothing? A God who can raise his church from the dead out of every generation and gather them in one great instance into the heavens to be with his son? You don't think he could make the sun stand still for 24 hours? Or rather stop the old earth from moving around so it has that effect? Don't have any trouble with it. And whatever. Beloved, I can believe anything the Bible says. I have no troubles with it. Because God raised his son from the dead. And once that tomb is open, once there's light in that dark place, once there's a revelation of what it's like on the other side, once it's all been given to us by Jesus Christ, I understand what he means. Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? Of course he should. That's what the scripture said. That's what Moses said. That's what David said. That's what Daniel said. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? And then entered into his glory. My friends, I want you to believe God. I want you to believe God's Word. I want you to believe that we have faith in a God who has all power. And when our Savior says, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me, He has it all. And that power will do one thing for you tonight. It will regenerate you. Make you a new creature. If you'll believe in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank Thee tonight for this message. And we thank Thee that all the attacks of the centuries can't deny Moses and our Lord. And we thank Thee for this blessed text. Had you believed his writings. If you believe not his writings, neither will you believe my words. Father, we are a people of faith. We are a people of miracle-working power. We are a people who believe in the resurrection. We are thy people. Oh, help us tonight. Help our country. And as we face these new problems that arise, oh, Father, help us. And Lord, take care of this radio ministry which we love and which we must have and which thou hast given to us. Lord, may we get support. May people give us money. May we have a marvelous answer to our prayers, O Lord. Use us as a witness against the great tide that's running in. For Christ's sake, amen.
All right, let's close the service by turning, please, to hymn number 354, Living for Jesus. Now remember these sermons. Next Sunday night will be Adam. The next Sunday night I said it would be David, didn't I? Then I'm going to give you the one on Isaiah or Cyrus. And hear these other three messages and bring your Bibles and bring your friends. And let's have a great time in, in this marvelous preaching of the truth. 354. <clears throat>